announcement for the latest episode of News Weekly starts. Uh, News Weekly is always released on Friday mornings. However, due to some new work commitments that have come up for me, I teach at a university here in Melbourne, as some of you might know, and a lot of the classes I'm teaching this term are falling on a Thursday. Thursdays tend to be the day that I put aside to work on News Weekly. I can no longer do that. Friday will now be the day in which I write News Weekly, which means Saturday morning you will hear it. Look, it's not really that important. A lot of you download it whenever you download it and listen to it whenever you listen to it. But if you listen to it on Friday mornings, as soon as it comes out fresh and toasty, then from now on it'll come out on Saturday mornings. Fresh and toasty as well, but just a day late. I hope that's all right with all of you. All right, now back to News Weekly. Top stories of the week. It's the virus's planet and we're just living on it. Also, Britain getting closer to choosing which Prime Minister will next briefly hold office for an incomplete term. And putting it to the Turks. All that and more on this week's News Weekly. Hello, I'm Sammy Shah and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Vegetarians are going to be even more insufferable news now. There is in astronomy a thing called Fermi's Paradox. It asks the question that if the universe is so vast that life is likely to occur in it in large quantities, as all estimates show it must, then where is it? Where is all the life? Where are the new planets with new civilizations? The answer could be anything from they're too far for us to see to they all got eaten by a giant mega being that eats planets as its silver herald surfs ahead looking for the next meal. It is known by many names. My people called it Galactus, the devourer of worlds. Or maybe they got wiped out by viruses. We already have a lot of viruses kicking our ass, after all. I mean, malaria and influenza have been around for ages. Then COVID appeared, and that seems to be doing pretty well for itself too. The latest Omicron variant is helping push the number of people in hospital close to the January peak. Uh, Currently, there are more than 5,350 people with COVID being treated in hospitals around the country, with multiple states dealing with record admissions. So that's already happening, but there's still no mask mandate in sight, even though doctors are now saying Omicron should be considered a pandemic on its own. Here's infectious diseases expert Professor Sanjaya Senanyake speaking with Channel 7 News. Even if you've been vaccinated in the past, even if you've had COVID with different strains, you're still susceptible to BA4 and BA5. Basically, Omicron is COVID-19's kid who grew up and did its parent proud. You can't help but be impressed with it. What it lacks in brand awareness, it makes up for in brand effectiveness. It's really going viral. Here, by the way, is Channel 7 talking to random people on the street about wearing masks because for some reason, journalists think, fuck that infectious diseases guy who spent his life studying this stuff, a news story isn't complete until a person carrying groceries is asked for their opinion. None of the people, like I said, were wearing masks when interviewed. Would you wear a mask again? Yeah, probably. Even when people have the choice, they decide not to. Um, Do you think people will adhere to this advice? No. (laughs) For us, probably it's not a good thing because people won't come to work and it will affect small businesses. So, yeah, we we don't really want it. But, I mean, it's probably best for health. Why is health seen at odds with running a business? Were there a lot of successful small businesses during the Black Plague? Was it like a boom time for the putting dead people on carts industry, maybe? 
The other problem here, of course, is the strain that anti-vaxxers are still putting on the medical system. Despite unvaccinated people making up a small minority, they're vastly overrepresented in COVID deaths. Between January the 1st and June the 28th this year, there were 2,171 deaths in the state of people with COVID. Around one-third of those who've died in the first half of the, this year were unvaccinated. More than one-third were unvaccinated, despite the fact that they only make up 4% of the population. You know, you, you have to give them credit. They're willing to martyr themselves for their beliefs in the healing powers of crystals. They're like, they're like suicide bombers, except instead of blowing up a school in Pakistan or an office building in Baghdad, they're blowing up their own respiratory system and the workload management of the medical system. What's interesting is how there are still many people who have not had any COVID at all, which means they're probably going to get monkeypox. Cases now soaring of monkeypox over the past month. Yeah, I mean, there's now suggestions that the US in particular might soon be dealing with two pandemics at the same Basically, time. Basically, if you live in America, you're either going to catch COVID, monkeypox, or get shot by an AR-15. And if you're in Australia and you have managed to not get COVID or monkeypox yet, congratulations, just don't celebrate with a burger or sausage. We have detected foot and mouth disease in a small number of pork products for sale in the Melbourne CBD. A devastating disease was detected in a beef product at an airport brought by a passenger travelling from Indonesia. Foot and mouth disease affects cattle and rarely humans, but that doesn't mean we're safe from its impacts. It could mean the destruction of millions of animals, decimating Australia's meat and livestock industry and wiping $80 billion from the national economy. And if that's not scary enough, here's former Deputy Prime Minister and giant hat fetishist Barnaby Joyce on the impact we should be most worried about. What do you think is going to happen to your food bill? It's going to go through the roof. He's worried about the price of food because he keeps creating more mouths to feed every time his penis touches the wind. You know, maybe if we're full of viruses and diseases, then when Galactus, the devourer of worlds, does get here, what if we're just too gross to eat? Humans will become like that dangerously old sausage still spinning on a heating tray in your local 7-Eleven. That might be our only chance. <laughs> you know, taxes pay for important things, news now. The battle for Tory party leadership in the UK has been narrowed down from a whole lot of right-wing shitheads to just two right-wing shitheads. The numbers of votes cast for each candidate is as follows. Uh, Mordant, 105. Sunak, 137. Truss, 113. Which means Penny Mordant is now no longer in the running and can spend the rest of her career wondering if she should have spent less time on maritime puns. It needs to become a little less about the leader and a lot more about the ship. With her ship well and truly sunk, it's now down to the guy whose wife is richer than the Queen but pays less taxes than a fish and chip shop and Liz Truss, who no one knows much about but they all seem to like her for that very reason. What I believe is that lowering taxes, opening up opportunities is going to help us deliver the economic growth that Britain needs and it's also going to help deliver us the next election. Sunak also believes in lowering taxes and in his defence he's willing to put his wife's money where your mouth is. By the way, why is promising to cut taxes always seen as an election winning strategy? Taxes pay for things like roads, the police, medical services, airports, parliamentary salaries, public transport, did, did I mention roads? 
if you keep cutting taxes, how are you going to pay for that stuff? Do people who keep voting for tax cuts think everything will magically stay great for free? Are they toddlers who lack basic fucking object permanence? What's interesting is how the calls for this leadership change were focused on just that change, and yet neither candidate offers any of it at all. Here's the BBC's UK political correspondent, Rob Watson. These people are, are both on the right of the party, they're both these days enthusiastic Brexiteers, they're anti-EU. The, the other thought that I have is that whoever of the two of them wins, it's remarkable how little we really know about them, Matthew, and that is, if you think about it, their rise has been so enormous. So what they think about all sorts of, of range of issues, social issues, we really do know uh, very little. Most of what we know about them has been the sort of slogans from their campaign and their media appearances, relatively brief ones, over the last three years. So it, it's going to be a fascinating few weeks as the Conservative Party and the rest of the country gets to know them. Maybe they're worried about familiarity breeding contempt. After all, everyone was familiar with Boris Johnson before he became Prime Minister, and anyone with any brains predicted how shit that would turn out, and indeed it turned out just as shit. And in case you needed a reminder, here he is in his final Prime Minister questions. Number one, stay close to the Americans, stick up for the Ukrainians, cut taxes and deregulate wherever you can. He's basically plagiarising American right-wing policies, showing even his political ideology isn't original. Focus on the road ahead, but always remember to check the rearview mirror. OK, Tuesdays with Maury, calm down. Do you have anything original to say? Something that doesn't sound like you copied it off an inspirational card in the parliamentary gift shop on the way in? Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> that means he'll be back, won't he? God damn it. London's burning news now. As the Tory party fiddles with its leadership options, England is burning, quite literally. It has been a day of record-breaking temperatures across the United Kingdom, more than 40 degrees Celsius for the first time. That's right, the UK is experiencing what in Australia is called a Tuesday. The heat has struck London and surrounding cities with a severity it hasn't seen before. With today's searing heat came fires and lots of them. Huge plumes of smoke rose above London as grass fires engulfed homes on the outskirts of the capital. So far, more than 60 homes have been destroyed. And while no death toll has yet been attributed to the fires, the London Ambulance Service has taken a call every 13 seconds for the last two days. The UK hasn't seen heat like this ever before. In 1976, it peaked just shy of 36 degrees. It was 27 years before that record was broken. 16 years after that, it hit 38.7 Celsius. Just three years later, and we've got today's new record. Who would have thought over 40 degrees in the UK? It turns out climate scientists would have thought, and did continue to think for quite a while. Even on GB News, Britain's version of the live-streamed vomitoriums that are America's Fox News and Australia's Sky News, the presenters had their chipper demeanour schooled by a meteorologist. Oh, oh, yeah. So, this is... So, John, I want us to be happy about the weather and every single... I don't know whether something's happened to meteorologists to make you all a little bit fatalistic and, and <laughs> harbingers of doom. Because all of the broadcasts, particularly on, on the BBC, every time I've turned on anyone's talking about the weather, they're saying that there's going to be tons of fatalities. But haven't we always had hot weather, John? I mean, wasn't the 76, the summer of 76, that was as hot as this, wasn't it? Uh, no. Uh, and, you know, we are seeing more and more records, more and more frequently and more and more severely. 
Uh, so, yeah, some people always hop back to the summer of 76, which was a freak event 40-odd years ago, over 40 years ago. Uh, but heat waves are becoming more extreme. This is yet another one which is coming down the track towards us. Maybe when meteorologists get so fatalistic, we should start paying attention to why they're getting so instead of scolding them for bringing down the general party atmosphere. But that doesn't stop GB News from continuing to throw shade on climate change. Here's GB News presenter Eamon Holmes, who once said rape victims wouldn't get raped if they just took taxis, called Meghan Markle a racist term, and thinks 5G towers cause COVID. Well, here he is talking with another climate scientist who is also patiently trying to tell him things are on fire. The story is not the one everybody's looking for today. And um, there's an awful part of me that looks at newspapers and think that these scary headlines just sell newspapers. That's what it's about. There's going to be a lot of disappointed people if this record in temperatures isn't broken today, won't there be? The temperature record, by the way, was broken just a few hours after that broadcast, and there was a distinct lack of celebration. Erdogan put in it to Iran news now. Russian president and all-time winner of Mr. Shirtless Moscow, Vladimir Putin, has travelled to Iran to have a meeting with Iran's President Ibrahim Rahisi and Turkey's President Erdogan. It was a meeting between grown men who exhibit mature and adult behaviour. In 2020, Turkey's president was made to wait more than two minutes for a meeting with Vladimir Putin. Now, President Erdogan is giving the increasingly isolated Russian leader a taste of his own medicine. That happened. Erdogan made Putin wait two whole minutes as well. Revenge, apparently, is a dish best served two minutes late. The meeting was to get Turkey's help in getting Russia to lift a blockade on Ukrainian wheat, which is threatening a famine in Africa. The other topic was the decades-long Syrian civil war, which everyone seems to have forgotten is still an ongoing humanitarian crisis, which Turkey somehow feels is not crisis-y enough. But tensions were heightened as Russia and Iran opposed Turkey's threat of more military attacks against Kurdish fighters at their border with northern Syria, as well as the American-led intervention. Can the Turks go one century without committing a genocide? They're always either killing Armenians or Kurds or Kurds or Armenians or Kurds. It's the only cultural export Turkey has at this point, other than terribly atonal music and bland food. Yes, I fucking said it. Iran's Raisi, who once oversaw the executions of over 30,000 political prisoners and is frequently named as the most likely successor of Ayatollah Khamenei, also made a statement about Syria, where Iran has been providing Syrian President Bashar al-Assad extensive military and intelligence support, including tens of thousands of fighters, which you should probably keep in mind when listening to this statement. Syria's fate should be decided by its people through Syrian dialogues and without foreign intervention. Erdogan continued the theme then of saying the opposite of what's happening. We are determined to drive out the centres of evil from Syria that threaten our national security. As Astana guarantors, our expectation from the Russian Federation and Iran is to support Turkey in this fight. Still, it was a relatively successful meeting between the three presidents. If by successful, you mean at any point two out of the three of them didn't agree on anything and took time out to belittle one another on the global stage, and if by presidents, you mean murderous dictators who claim they're presidents but haven't ever won a free and fair election between them. What's the collective noun for dictators? 
a massacre of dictators, a delusion of dictators, a dickfest of dictators? Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the holy water news now. It's been a while since we've heard from former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, but just like the monster in a horror movie who springs back up when you think he's dead, or is that Jesus I'm thinking of, Morrison's back. Here he is giving a speech at Margaret Court's church in Perth, and yes, that is a church named after the tennis legend Margaret Court, who became the first Australian woman to win the Wimbledon in 1963 and the second female tennis player to win the Grand Slam singles in 1970. Look, at this point, just go with it. Morrison was there for Margaret Court's 80th birthday, and he gave a speech which was basically excerpts from his sad, sad diary. Do you believe if you lose an election that God still loves you and has a plan for you? That is a very specific belief. That's like if I said, do you believe that if you have chronic IBS, a tendency to burp mid-conversation and an addiction to vintage watches, that God still has a plan for you and loves you? I do. Oh, thank you, Scotty. What else do you believe in? God's kingdom will come. It is in his hands. We trust in him. We don't trust in governments. That's the former prime minister of the country saying he doesn't trust in government. Of course, trust in government fell to 52% during the Morrison government. So at least he's preaching what he forced us all to practice. But as someone who's been in it, if you are putting your faith in those things, like I put my faith in the Lord, you are making a mistake. I'm pretty sure he just said putting his faith in the Lord was a mistake. Is... Is Morrison a secret agent of atheism? I mean, you're probably less likely to want to be a Christian after his sermon, right? Scott Morrison is, it should be noted, still a part of the government, given that he's still a member for Cook and draws a parliamentary salary. That's all for this week's edition of News Weekly. As I said, please remember, News Weekly will no longer be coming out on every Friday morning. That'll be moving to Saturday mornings from now on. I apologize if this causes any confusions or any problems for anyone. Uh, I don't see why it would, but you never know, and I do apologize if it does. Otherwise, if you would like to keep supporting the podcast so I can actually stop doing day jobs and keep making more podcasts for you, then please uh, join my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Shah. That's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H. I post all kind of bonus content on there, including articles I'm writing for someone else every now and then, maybe a short story that I'm currently working on or have recently published, and including a new series that I have done for Audible Australia, all the details of which will be coming out very very soon and I'll be giving exclusive behind the scenes access along with lots of extra content over on my Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash Samisha, S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H As always, of course, you can always just support me by heading over to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and a positive review for the podcast. Or you know what? Just support me by listening to it. I don't know why I'm asking you to do all these things. I really apologize. I sound very, very demanding in these things. And I don't mean to. I really do appreciate the fact that so many people listen to this podcast. I will see you right back here next week, next Saturday, remember, on Friday, on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. 